It's been a good week in the office having Pastor Nolan, getting to know him a little bit more and uh, just walk side by side through life. So I'm excited for the rest of you uh, to get to know him over the coming weeks and months and years. Uh, But church, we are diving into a new series today. We are going to be back in the book of Matthew as we do our slow journey through the book. We took a break for a while over the summer, but we are back this morning, and I I am, I'm thrilled. I I love Matthew. It's a ton of fun, and so it's a pleasure this morning to, to be preaching out of this book together. Well, I guess technically I'm preaching, but you guys are listening. But we're in it together. So uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8. So will you stand with me as I read from God's Word? Oh, talk time. Excuse me. Okay, hold on. Yes, that's very important. My wife would kill me. Be like, hey, okay, talk time. Uh, in case you're not familiar, we have talk time for uh, three-year-olds through six-year-olds. Um, potty trained, please. And... Uh, Basically, uh, you can get up and take your kids to uh, the Martha Sunday School room or send them off with uh, Courtney and Mika, I believe, are in charge now. So um, you can go ahead and do that. I think many of you have already done it. So um, my apologies for, for missing that. I was just so excited to preach, Dale. You, you saved me there. So, um, so yes, we're doing taught time from now on, and hopefully that will uh, be a blessing to all of you guys as you can maybe pay good attention uh, during, during the sermon. So... All right, now, will you stand with me as we uh, read from God's Word this morning? We're going to start in Matthew, actually, chapter 7, verses, uh, verse 28, and we're going to go through chapter 8, verse 17. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not, and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. 
He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, please, in your mercy, help us to hear from you this morning. Give us soft hearts, open ears. May we understand more of you and more about ourselves. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church, one of the interesting things about being a pastor is that the people you long to meet, the celebrities and those you admire, look a little different from the rest of the population. You know, most people, they want to meet sports stars and, you know, movie stars and that kind of stuff. Well, I live in the pastor world, and uh, I kid you not, there are authors and theologians and pastors that, that I would long to meet because I read these guys, and, and they've influenced me greatly. Uh, one particular individual who has influenced me a lot is uh, Dr. Jonathan Pennington. I, I got to have a few classes with him, but due to timing and uh, COVID, the classes I had with him were all online. So I never really actually got to physically meet him. But a couple of years ago, I was at a conference, and I saw Dr. Pennington across the way. And I was there with a buddy, and you know we, he had been influenced by Dr. Pennington as well, and, and, and he was like, hey, we should go talk to him. And I'm like, no. No, we shouldn't. Like, I was afraid, what if I meet this guy? Who, he's influenced me greatly, both his teaching and his writing. And I was like, what if, what if he turns out to be crummy? And he's not nice. And he's like one of those like, scholarly academics who sits in his ivory tower and is just a terrible human being. So I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I want to meet him. Well, my, my buddy convinced me. And we walked over there, and, and lo and behold, he's a very kind man, and he was wonderful. And he actually asked us all sorts of questions about our lives, and we, it turns out we had some mutual acquaintances that we knew and we were able to, to talk about, not, not gossip, but, you know, like, oh, isn't that an interesting thing? You know, that, that type of thing. Anyways, Dr. Pennington was great. But there is a reality when we meet our heroes and meet the people we admire that we may be let down. Why? Because ultimately they are sinners, every last one of us. And we put people on pedestals, whether they be our celebrity heroes or our politicians or just people in our lives that have influenced us, we put them on pedestals and so often they let us down. But church, Jesus is not like that. He's not. We have this series called Behold Your King. And my hope is is that as we walk through Matthew 8, 9, and 10, we will see what our King is like. Chapters 8 and 9 are all about Jesus' authority, but also how He reaches out and touches the least of these. That's what chapters 8 and 9 are about. And then chapter 10, we get the second discourse in Matthew. There's five discourses in Matthew where basically Jesus is giving speeches. The first speech was the Sermon on the Mount. The second speech is chapter 10, and Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he's training them to send them out into the world to tell the world, hey, the king is here. Behold your king. So hence, that's the the series title, Behold Your King. And I hope that as we walk through these things, you will see just what our king is like. Now, just a refresher of where we are in the book. In chapter 4, verse 23, Matthew writes this, and he, being Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Then, in chapter 9, verse 35, we get a nearly identical statement. And Jesus went throughout all their cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, I mentioned this when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount because right after 
We get these words in chapter 4, you get the Sermon on the Mount. You have Jesus teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. You guys can go back and, and listen to that seri- uh, sermon series if you weren't here when we did that. But then, So that's chapters 5 through 7. Chapters 8 and 9 are him healing every disease and every affliction among the people. We get a series of 10 miracles. Two of them go together, so you really have kind of nine-ish miracles, and they're grouped in threes. So today, that's why we have a group of three that we are looking at. Thematically, they all go together. And Matthew is teaching us something very particular about who Jesus is. It's so easy for us to, to, to encounter these stories in Scripture, these stories that we have seen before, and we kind of are just like, oh, aren't these miracles neat? But Matthew is not presenting us with these miracles of Jesus and putting them in the order that he does and saying the things that he does about them just so we'll go, isn't that neat? He presents them to us in a particular way because he is making a theological argument about who Jesus is and how we need to respond. We get that throughout the Gospels. So, today we have Jesus doing these three healings. Uh, All are dealing with the authority of Jesus. And today we're going to specifically see two things. We're going to see the posture, the posture and the position. Sorry, that's the first half. Let's group those as one. Basically, who is Jesus healing? Who are they and what are they like? That's the first half. And the second half of today, we're going to look at the posture and position of the king. Who is the king? Who does he interact with and who does he, or and, and what is he like? So who does he interact with and who is this king? All right, so let's dive back in and look at the leper, the centurion, and the mother-in-law. We'll start with the leper. He comes up. Behold, a leper came to him, coming to Jesus, and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So this leper, a leper in this society, would have been cut off, outcast. They lived away from everyone else. He's not able to be near the community of the people of God. It's not just socially he's separated. He's socially separated from the community of the people of God. He's not able to participate in the temple worship of the Lord or to bring his sacrifices. He is apart from the community. Leprosy was seen as a curse. So this leper is very much an outsider. Now we get a second outsider with the centurion. In verse 5, we're introduced to this man who says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And the miracle is ultimately done on behalf of the centurion, not his servant. It's because of who the centurion is that this happens. This should shock us. You know, we're used to reading this story, and we're used to seeing Jesus interact with all sorts of people, But especially in the book of Matthew, this should shake us and should make us feel something's weird here. If you remember way back at the beginning of the book, the first people who come and worship Jesus are who? These Gentiles from the east. Now we have Jesus doing miracles, and the first people he does it with is this outcast leper and then this Gentile. But not just any Gentile, a centurion. Basically, a military officer in the army of Rome who is responsible for oppressing Israel, the people of God. This is the guy that comes and asks for healing. 
And this is the guy that Jesus heals on behalf of. The enemy. This really should be something that's shocking to us. It would have been uncomfortable for Matthew's readers. Because it's saying something very clearly. or something, it's, it's clearly speaking about who is in the kingdom of God. And who is not? We even see that based on what Jesus says, which we will look at in a bit. And then the third person is this mother-in-law. Now, we don't get much about Peter's mother-in-law other than just that she's obviously a woman and has a fever. She also is not able to participate in regular interaction with people because of the fever. The oral tradition at the time said that you don't touch people with a fever. But not only that, women were generally seen as second-class citizens. There were things that they were not able to do in the worship of God. They weren't, as, they weren't able to come as close in the temple as the men were. So here we have again a third person who is an outsider. And this is difficult for us to wrestle with. Here's our, our point. Those in Christ's kingdom are broken outsiders. They're broken outsiders. And this is hard for us. It's difficult because we like the powerful insiders. We look to those who have authority and power and we say, oh, they will fix my problems. They will make my life better. But Jesus moves in the exact opposite direction. Also, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't like to see ourselves as broken and outside. Yet that is the very posture that Jesus requires. He's going to those who are broken and outside. The posture of the kingdom of God is one of need. It's one of seeing ourselves as inherently unclean. Because church, our default mode of operation is to see myself as unbroken, or at least to try to lie to myself and convince myself that I am unbroken. That's our default. And Jesus is shaking us out of it, and Matthew is crafting these stories together, putting them all in this arrangement to say, look, you sense a pattern in the way that Jesus is going about life and ministry? Okay, so those in Christ's kingdom are broken outsiders. Let's look at how they come to Jesus. So back with the first leper. The first leper says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. There is a statement of belief here. He believes that Jesus is able to cure something that in their context was seen as bad as death itself, as uncurable as death itself. Leprosy was not a good thing. Praise be to God, we have some medicine today that can, and and by the way, leprosy was kind of a catch-all term for a lot of skin diseases, but uh, for for them, it was was just heinous, all of these diseases. And we have medicine now that can heal us of much of this, but for that, so we don't even really understand this idea of having a skin disease that would separate you. And we, even the idea of, of being healed of this is not really that big of a deal. But for them, this was huge. It's like, you can't heal leprosy. But Jesus, Jesus, this leper believes that Jesus can heal. The leper is audacious. Even the fact that he approaches Jesus would have been a big no-no. You don't come into society as a leper. Every time you went somewhere, you were supposed to yell out, unclean, unclean, so that the others around you would know to stay away. So here's this leper coming up to Jesus because he believes. 
same is true of the centurion. The centurion believes. Because when Jesus is like, hey, I'll heal you, which by the way, uh, most commentators believe that that should be translated as a question. Like, you want me to heal for you? And this, this response is, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. He believes in Jesus' authority. He believes that Jesus just has to speak. You see, the centurion knows that hey, I'm the military commander. All I have to do is speak because I have the authority of Caesar behind me. And so people will follow me. My soldiers will follow. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, I know that you have the authority of God himself. So all you have to do is speak. He believes that. He believes it's strong enough to come to Jesus and to beg. So here's our second point for today. Those in Christ's kingdom trust in Christ's authority. They trust in Christ's authority. When I speak of trusting or having faith in Christ's authority, what I mean by that is that he has all the power, all the power and the right to do what he wills. That's really what authority is, the power and the right to do something. Like, I can do what I want, and you cannot tell me no. We like to think that we have authority, because I want to have the power and right to do whatever I want. But Jesus, God himself, is the one who has true authority. And the centurion recognizes that. Now, Jesus goes on and gives this kind of interesting commentary on the centurion's faith. He marvels and he says, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is making a very unsettling statement to those who would have been around him and heard him in his context. You see, what he's referring to is the messianic banquet. The messianic banquet. This idea comes from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 to 9. I'm going to read it to you. It's not going to be on the screen, so just just listen to it. Isaiah says this, On this mountain, Yahweh of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And Yahweh God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people He will take away from the earth, for Yahweh has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is Yahweh. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. So when you see in the New Testament, and in the Gospels in particular, and especially Matthew, Matthew loves talking about the Messianic banquet. They're talking about this talking about this passage in Isaiah, this end times realization when God's promised king would be with his people and be rescuing him. Now, to the Jews of Jesus' day, they had begun to say that this messianic banquet is all about us. Basically, it's for those who are ethnically descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They even looked to Psalm 107, verses 2 and 3. To back this up, they said, let, or this, is, this is from Psalm 107, it says, Let the redeemed of Yahweh say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. So we have this picture of return from exile, and they're saying, hey, that's us. And Jesus is flipping this on its head and saying, no, 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 this is not about ethnically people coming in who are descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's saying it's about those who have faith in me as their king. 
He is radically redefining what it means to be in the people of God. He says, you may be literally descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but if you do not receive me as king, your ancestry means nothing. He says that in a powerful and uncomfortable way to his hearers. So being in the kingdom of God is comprised of those who recognize Jesus as king. They trust in his authority. It's not something you inherit. So the question is, what does this look like? What's it look like for us? Because we all have areas of our lives that need Christ's attention. Well, I should say he's looking at it. It has his attention. Maybe we should turn it over to him. Maybe we should pay attention to Jesus' authority in our lives. I think ultimately it comes down to transferring our care and concerns over to him. When you look at our centurion, he's transferring care and concern of his servant to Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, I know that you can heal. Uh, a good example of this, uh, so Rox and I, we went and we were switching over to Verizon a, a couple weeks ago. And before I went, I, I had a haircut earlier in the day and I you know, told, told uh, uh, my, my barber, I said, hey, I'm going to the Verizon place and uh, Paige over at Renee's said, oh, you're going to be there a few hours. And I was kind of like, how hard could this be? It shouldn't take that long. Well, we were there for three hours. But <laughs> while we're there, you know, they had to call Verizon and kind of kick it up the chain because they kept encountering problems. So they had to keep getting to the next kind of level because they would have the authority to actually do the things that would make our phones work. And I think for us, we need to Send it up the chain. Basically, instead of saying, hey, I got this, I can, I've got it all covered, we should say, no, I, need, I just need to go straight to the top. Jesus, I know that you have control over this, so please, please, will you handle it? And I trust that however you're going to handle it, that's enough. That's enough. So perhaps you have trouble with a coworker, or you have trouble with a neighbor, somebody you're just kind of butting heads with. And I know for maybe many of you in this room even struggling with a child who's not walking with Jesus, an adult child, oh, church, my heart breaks for you. If you're in that position, what would it look like to continually cast that care and concern to the Lord? And, and I've been encouraged by those of you who are in this boat and the ways you've talked about it, just trusting the Lord with your child, trusting that he will continue to open doors and that you and that you continue to pray for your child or perhaps you're walking through some financial turmoil what does it look like to send it up the chain and say jesus i trust that you have this we of all people should not be troubled by what comes our way because we have a king we're like well jesus isn't physically with me so i'm like nah maybe he doesn't care but we have a king Jesus doesn't physically need to be next to me to be governing the entire cosmos. And he tells us that he cares, and that he's with us, and he is trustworthy. We can trust our Lord. He has that authority. If somebody was looking at your life from the outside, would they say that you come to him as a king, for him, as him as a king? Would they say that you truly trust him? Or would they say that you really interact with Jesus more like he's the IRS? You know, we recognize the IRS is having authority, but we're hoping that maybe the IRS won't look too closely sometimes at our lives. And we're like, I'm just going to go along with the IRS as, as much as I have to. And I really, really want the IRS near me. Is Jesus that kind of authority to you? Or is he the kind king that you can walk to and say, Lord, I don't need you next to me. Just say the word, and I know that it will be done. 
That's the king that we have. So again, those who trust in Christ, or those in Christ's kingdom trust in Christ's authority. Because those who don't, the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, we got to get moving. Let's, uh, let's talk about Jesus himself and his reaction to, to these three people. With the leper, what does he do? Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. The Greek there kind of gives this double, stretching out his hand and touching. It could have just said one or the other and it would have been clear. But instead it says both. He touches him. He willingly touches the leper. And we talked a couple weeks ago that cleanliness usually goes one way. You know, you go from clean to dirty. You don't go from dirty to clean. And we'll talk more about this in a few weeks when we talk about the bleeding woman. But the beauty of it here, we see Jesus willingly touches. He willingly touches the dirty. He marvels at the centurion. This is the only time in Matthew where Jesus marvels. He marvels a couple other times at people's lack of faith in the other Gospels. In Matthew, this is, when Jesus, this is the only time Jesus marvels. It's pleasing to him. He loves the centurion's faith. And again, when we have the mother-in-law, what does he do? He touches. Again, doing something that according to the culture around him, you don't do. You don't touch the person with the fever. That's not in the Mosaic law, by the way. But he touches her. He touches her and heals her. Church, Jesus will touch us. But we have to humble ourselves and come before him. He is willing. Look at how dirty the leper is. Look at the, the Gentile, the centurion, not part of the people of God. He's probably eating, eating pigs and all sorts of stuff all the time. I like pigs too. They're delicious. But Jesus, he gives a word. He touches the leper. He touches the mother-in-law because he has a heart that is willing. And do we see him as having that heart that is willing? Do we have a posture that says, Jesus, you are willing to touch me, but also because you are willing to touch me, I am willing to touch those that I don't really want to touch. Jesus, I was far more offensive in your sight than I could ever imagine, but you touched me, and so I'm going to move towards the person who is driving me nuts right now. Why? Because you love me and you love them, and how could I not touch them when you have touched me and them? Lord, help me to have a heart like you. So church, our king is willing. Hopefully that was clear from the title of today's sermon. Our king is willing. The next one is going to be able, by the way. Our king is able. We'll see that in a second. But yeah, well here, I'll show it to you right now. Our king is able. There you go. Our king is able. Let's see him being able. Verse 3 and 15. What does he do? He touches. He touches. Willing and able. Jesus isn't wearing rubber gloves when he touches. But also in verse 13. You see his power where he speaks. Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Jesus does not need to be right here in this place physically to heal. Because he is the creator God who is sustaining the universe by the power of his word. That's the kind of authority he has. Authority he has where he just speaks and it happens. 
you know, the more authority you have, the more you can order things. I mentioned, you know, authority being the kind of the power and the right. If you have no authority, you have to do everything yourself, right? You have to ask permission, and then you got to physically go do the work. But if you have a little bit of authority, perhaps you can give instructions to somebody, but maybe you still need to train them, kind of walk alongside them, and then if they don't do it perfectly well, you kind of got to clean up their mess. So limited authority goes a limited amount of the way, but that's not the kind of authority Jesus has. He's not like, oh, maybe I can get this done. No, he speaks. We talked a lot in Haggai how what God says is. So Jesus, he proclaims it, and it is. The servant is healed. This is what our king is doing with his, his authority, is he is healing. He is bringing restoration. This passage ultimately isn't about the relation between faith and miracles. Okay, some people take it that direction, but that ultimately that's not where the passage is going. The passage is pushing us to see Jesus' authority, and do we have faith in him? Jesus' miracles are all about the inbreaking of the kingdom of God and how he is bringing the ultimate restoration. This, of course, isn't to say that God doesn't heal today. I believe that he does. But ultimately, we're to look to Jesus as the authority and Jesus as the one who is bringing redemption, who is fixing all of the wrongs. Ultimately, these three people all died. Lazarus, who was raised to life, died. These healings are temporary, but Jesus brings the ultimate healing where the kingdom of God comes and restores and one day there will be full physical healing where God's will will be fully done and the new heavens and earth will be with us and we will physically be in the presence of God. Church, the greatest restoration we need is our soul. We are unclean. We need Jesus to heal us, to touch us. And here's where I want to look at the very end and see a little twist that we get. Because Jesus heals all of these people in the evening. And then verse 17, Matthew offers this little editorial comment. You may read it and be like, okay, what's this, what's this doing? This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. That's from Isaiah 53.4. If you open up Isaiah 53.4 and you read this, you'd be like, Isaiah 53 isn't really talking about the Messiah just offering a bunch of healing. And how is him healing people, him taking upon our illnesses and bearing our diseases? What, what, what is Matthew doing here? And some liberal commentators basically say, say, well, Matthew is just kind of, he's cherry-picking verses, he's finding out things in the prophets, and he's like, or he's picking things out of the prophets saying, oh, that kind of fits, I like that statement, I'm going sh to shove it in here and say, ha-ha, look, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. I think a much more reasonable approach, and one that Matthew would say he's actually doing, is he's saying, look, when he quotes somewhere, and we talked about this earlier uh, uh, when we were looking in Matthew, when he's quoting somewhere, he's really quoting an entire section. Yes, he mentions a verse, but he's talking about a whole section. And this section is coming from the fourth servant song of Isaiah that are all looking at a suffering servant. You may be familiar with these words. They follow verse 4. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this is that famous Isaiah passage where we see Jesus is dying for our sins. But Matthew seems to be using it saying this has to do with the healings. Matthew, what are you talking about? I think ultimately what Matthew is doing is saying, hey, 
all of these healings are about the inbreaking kingdom of God. And that comes because Jesus died for our sins. He suffered the wrath of God on our behalf. And because of that, all things are being made new. So as Jesus is healing, he is fulfilling this prophecy by showing that God himself is restoring the world. That's what's going on here. Matthew isn't just picking a verse and saying, oh, this seems like it'll fit. He's saying, no, Jesus with his death and resurrection is making all things new. And so church, we are left with the question, are we going to believe in this king? This king who has all authority. I love how Matthew does this. He's like, yes, Jesus has all this authority, but look at his character. He suffers for you. Isn't that a king worth coming to? We don't have to shy away and think, oh, I don't, I wonder if he'll receive me. He received the leper, the centurion, and the mother-in-law. He will receive you. So I invite you, if you are here this morning and you have not come to Christ, you have not come before him and said, Jesus, take my sin. I confess that I am unclean, that I have wronged you, but I believe that you have died for me on the cross. Jesus invites you to do that because he says, my grace is sufficient for you. He will cover you with his grace. We don't have to earn his favor. We have it. Look at who he's willing to come to. Those who are broken. Those who see themselves as willing and have faith in his authority. He invites you to believe. He invites you to believe. All right. So for us, three questions for you in closing. First, do you see yourself as broken? Every single person in this church, do you see yourself as broken? I hope that every morning you wake up and realize, oh, I am broken, but God, you love me anyways. Oh, thank you, Lord. Do you see yourself as broken? Do not rest on your upbringing or your church attendance. You need to be personally recognizing Christ's authority. If Jesus came and asked you to give up everything, would you? If he walked through that door, sat right down next to you, said, hey, I've got a plan for you. I want you to go do this, that, and the other. Would you do it? That's the type of authority he has, and that, we need to have a response that would say yes. Secondly, do you see Jesus as able to heal you? He's able. Do you believe he's actually able? Sometimes we have this neutered version of Jesus who won't do anything and can't do anything. He is able. And lastly, do you see Jesus as willing? Do you actually see him as willing? Because I guarantee you he is. He is a God who is rich in mercy, full of compassion, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He is willing. He reaches out and touches the most dirty of all the dirties. He is willing and able. So church, let us be broken outsiders because he is willing and able to restore you. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for sending Christ to die for us. And thank you, Jesus, that you are willing and able, that you are kind to us. And there is no amount of sin that you cannot atone for, no amount of wrong that we can do that you would turn your back on us. Father, help us to have broken hearts. Help us to have humble hearts that see ourselves as sinners in need of grace. And we thank you that you extend that grace to us. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.